Hello, this is Daryl here, sending love as always. Thank you for tuning in. I just want to say, if you like this interview, you can check our website for companion workbooks, action guides, tools, checklists, templates, and show notes with links for everything mentioned on the call. Just visit bestbusinesscoach.ca. That's best, B-E-S-T, businesscoach.ca. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Daryl Urbanski, and welcome to the Best Business Podcast. My mission is to help create 200 new multimillionaire business owners. How? You'll do better when you know better. In my interviews, you'll hear from self-made millionaires, seven-figure business owners, authors, and world-class experts sharing how they did it so you can too without experiencing the same obstacles they did. Now, if you like this interview, please share it with a friend you think will benefit. They'll appreciate it, and I will as well. You can also connect with me on social media. Look for Daryl Urbanski, D-A-R-Y-L, Urban Ski, U-R-B-A-N-S-K-I, and add me so we can be friends. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy what I've prepared for you right here, right now. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always, and today we are joined by Rich Stillman, a real business veteran who has spent the past 30 years as CEO, COO, and VP of marketing and sales in large companies and entrepreneurial settings alike. Through this, he's gained extensive experience in business strategy, operations, product innovation, and the full spectrum of marketing, planning, and execution. As a result, he created the six-block system for strategic planning and execution, which he successfully implemented in numerous small and large organizations. So I've asked him to join us here today to share some of his insights into what we can all do to grow a little faster, plan a little better, and execute on a world-class level. So Rich, thank you for your time, my friend. How are you doing? Great, Daryl. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, all right. So... That's quite a journey. 30 years. I mean, it's really easy to say like, yeah, he's got 30 years experience that, but I mean, that's like, there's real drama in that. That's like day to day, you know, putting in your time every day, dealing with the people issues, the staffing issues, the stress, the ups and downs of finances of successful and unsuccessful projects. There's a lot of drama in that. But before you jumped into that, what were you doing? Like, do you come from an entrepreneurial family? Did you have like a um, paper road as a kid? Like what got you going in the business world? My dad worked in marketing for a company that, that was one of the first to go international back in the 50s. And I just grew up kind of admiring both the worldwide travel because he went everywhere, you know, long before most Americans were going those kinds of places. Right out of school, actually, I ended up at one of the top advertising agencies in New York, basically working with the people who had done all the ads that I'd grown up reading in, you know, Life Magazine and Time Magazine. So I got really lucky in the first part of my career and then, you know, stayed in sales and marketing for the first, probably the first half. And then I switched over into executive management for the second half. That's awesome. Now I have to ask just because it's such a, it's at least for me, it's this big carrot hanging there. Have things changed a lot is what you what works has it changed a lot do the hooks and appeals do people want to hear different things in different ways i mean how have you seen that change i just it's a very broad question but i'm just curious no 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 it's a great question the way in which the way in which marketing gets done and the interactions between you know people selling things and people buying things has obviously changed radically but the fundamentals still apply so in business, the you know, luckily, I think for for us, for for either younger generations, is is an emphasis on teamwork, 
right out of the box, starting in grade school. I'm probably enough of an older generation that I didn't get that. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> no matter what, no matter what, that, that, you know, being able to work with people, being able to shape teams, being able to be productive in, in that type of a setting, as opposed to just being an individual contributor, those types of skill sets are timeless mm. and, and obviously way more important now. You know, the ability to create trust with other people quickly, engage in relationships, and then turn those relationships into something commercial. That's, that, that's obviously an important skill now, and it's as important now as it was 30 years ago. Mm, mm, mm. Well said. Very well said. So that's awesome. So you started in, like you said, you started in advertising. And so what were some of the greatest challenges that you had in your business career? I mean, what, why did you make the switch? What caused the switch? Well, actually, the, the, the greatest challenge was later on when I shifted out of, I'd been a CEO for several years, president of Coinstar during a, a period when it went from 80 million to about 500 million. So, you know, I'd had some wonderful successes but the shift out of that kind of full-time work into being a consultant, that was a major challenge. And then I dealt with some setbacks in my career. I moved out to Seattle in 95 and the job that I had taken that, that moved me and my wife and, and two young kids at that time, the guy ended up being, you know, a little less than honest. And, and so there I was in a city I didn't know in a you know business community. I didn't know and I yanked my wife and kids away from everything that they had known and like, okay, what are you going to do? You got to, mm. you got to bounce. You got to get to it and learn some great lessons during that, that time. And it, it turned out fabulously well. So it's all good in the end. Right. Yeah. But in the middle of it, in the drama, you're not necessarily yeah, feeling that way. Yeah. yeah. But that's, that's <laughs> something I think that's important for anyone listening to this. If they're like stressed out right now, if you're listening to this, I mean, first stay on the call because we're going to get through some real gems and maybe even listen to some other interviews. But don't feel bad about – don't feel sorry for yourself either because that's where all the growth is. There's no growth on an easy path. Smooth – was it? Smooth seas don't make for great sailors, right? So – that's No, that's absolutely right. And perseverance – perseverance is absolutely key trying to focus on what are you trying to get to long-term and then having the grit to stick with it is because as you're right, that a business career is an adventure and very rarely is it straight up and to the right. It just doesn't happen that way. Right. Of course, everybody success is many fathers, but failure is an orphan, right? So nobody wants to talk. Yeah. Nobody wants to talk about that. Everyone wants to make it seem right. like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So why were those the big challenges? What was the challenging about them? Like what were, like, give me some of the drama and the details of what was the challenge? Like, why was it challenging? Well, part of the challenge in that, in that, that the first couple of jobs after we moved to Seattle was just revolving around. My wife had left her job. She was working on Wall Street when we lived back east. So she left her job and, you know, moved basically so I could pursue my own career dreams and when that doesn't work out and you've put all your eggs in, in one person's basket, you know, it's like, okay, I got I to gotta provide for my family and I need to find something that I'm, I'm good at doing and that'll be rewarding professionally as well as financially. And I learned a lot about myself in those days. Really, really incredible time. Yeah. So that's when you switched to consulting or? Well, no, that's what I just, you know, I, I was a co-founder of a startup that's educational, but not terribly successful. And so, you know, at kind of in the middle of my career, I found myself out of work with no net needed to, you know, needed to find something to do. And that journey after a couple of months led me to land at the job at Coinstar, where I started as the VP of marketing and then got promoted to COO and subsequently president a short time later. 
which turned out to be kind of a, a, a turning point in my career, both professionally and personally. Learned a ton about myself, really fulfilling work, great company. And then the consulting work started a few years after that. So what were some of the things that you say, when you say you learned things about yourself, what were some of the big lessons that you, that you learned from that experience? Well, some of it was just understanding kind of the, the, the type of personality that I was. So I, I guess looking back, I, I was not that introspective about what things would make me happy and try and connect those, what made me happy to the things that I was good at. One of the great things that Coinstar did in, in those early days was put everyone in the company through Stephen Covey's Seven Habits. And executives of the company got certified to teach, so it wasn't just reading a book. It was hmm. it was a full on three day course. Good. And you know, Covey's. I don't know whether Covey seems antiquated these days, but no, I stuff. I mean, it's, it's timeless. It was, a lot of it pro- proactivity, yeah, highly. And, yeah. Yeah, the proactivity, abundance mentality, the choices that you make about creating your own happiness. Those things were absolutely transformational for me. And made me a better husband, better father, you know, better executive, better team leader. It was really life changing, and I was I was really grateful for it. That's awesome. So, if you feel like anyone right now is struggling in their business or with their company, where where would you recommend? What are the key areas that they should look at? Because a lot of people think they know the problem, but I know when I sit down and talk to people, they may be like, "Oh, this is a big problem in my business." When we sit down and you start diving in, you realize that that's not really the problem that they, you know, it's not really the problem they thought it was that's holding them up. So, what would you recommend to someone that's struggling? Well, struggling in their current job or in their business, they're not actually, they're not, in their, yeah, they're, they're not growing revenues like they want to, you know, they're just not. Uh, sure. Well, in a lot of cases, you know, for, for, for business owners where, where things are not going well, what I have found time and time again is that there, there's a tendency to skip over the fundamental things. So in, in business terms, really understanding who your who your best customers are, what we call a, a high odds target customer, and really define that almost like a story. Is it a, as a man or a woman, how old, what are they doing? What are their problems? You know, you really get a great picture of, of who, those, who those people are. And then really take the time to do analysis of your proposition versus the competitions and really define a value proposition that is differentiated and then finally, uh, connect that into a strategy inside the company that everyone, uh, everyone in the company understands. I can't tell you how many times in my consulting work, we, we deal with owners or CEOs who, who have the plan, but it's in their head. And then they're continually frustrated by the fact that people don't seem to know what to do. Hmm. And it's because they haven't aligned the organization around you know, a single direction. So- those would be those would be the three things for a, a CEO or an owner that's struggling in the business. Go back to the fundamentals and get those things right. Got it. That's really well said. Right, right, right. The fundamentals and knowing. I like that you talked about your offer because I think that that's a lot of people, especially in marketing, they want it like you know it's got to be in the design or the copy. You know, it's the language. It's the psychological. You know, we got to give before we take like and a lot of that stuff does affect. But the number two most influential pieces of any promotion 
that you've got, which is really kind of the bedrock of a business, right? It's, I mean, right. Yeah. It's the, the promotion that you're making is it's the foundation that every, all your staff fulfilling the services or creating products, what it's all standing on. And it comes down to your offer and your list, which could also be stated as your value proposition and your target market. And that's really right. what it comes down to. What are you offering to who and what are their other options, you know, and are they the right person for that? So, I think well, and the challenge, the, the challenge is in most cases, whatever we're selling is, is, you know, there are a lot of other people selling similar types of things, right? Right. There are very few businesses that break out that are truly unique. And if they, and if they do achieve that, that uniqueness is, is sucked up by competition in a very short period of time, faster than ever now. So then it's what, how do you shape a, a proposition that's similar to others in such a way that it's going to stand out for, for that target audience? And you're absolutely right, Daryl. You've got to get the offer right, and you've got to really understand who you want to be opting into your list, right? And you've got, you've got, to, you've got to create the right offer. You've got to create the right content you've got to put those two things together in order to, to create the successful trajectory for your business. Yeah. I think a lot of it, it just, it comes, a lot of the struggles people have comes from a, a lack of clarity and accountability for those sorts of things. And even just like, yeah, like, like the research to look at it, that's my, but this means this is your interview. So forget what I forget what I think. So, <laughs> um, so that's, now, when you help your clients, so you're saying that one of the biggest mistakes you see them making is that they either don't have identity or they're going after the wrong customer. Like they're getting all these sales, but they're getting like $5 sales. Meanwhile, they got a couple of clients that are paying them $50,000 and they're not even thinking about, you know, building a business around that. Yes, that's true. And, and trying to get, trying to create a very sharp end of that. If, if the, your target audience direction is an arrow, you want to make it very, very specific that the tendency, even I did this when I was starting my consulting business, the tendency is to try and create a proposition that, that appeals to a, a lot of people. Right. And what ends up happening, therefore, is that you don't stand for anything. And in order to get mind share, especially these days when we're just assaulted with input, social media, ads, you know, messages, Twitter, whatever it might be, how do you crack that shell and try and get in some, inside somebody's brain in a way that they're going to remember you? So you might do 10 things. You might be great at 10 things, but you've got to define one thing that you're going to go after in the marketplace and communicate that. Once you're inside their brain, they'll discover that you're good at, at adding value in other ways, but you've got to choose one. And it takes courage to do that. It's really scary to cut out nine things and just say you're going to focus on one. So how does someone go about the research, like look, doing the competitive research and looking at their offer? Well, it just, it's just hard work. You just, you have to really, we spend a lot of time talking with customers. I've worked with a lot of startups over the years. And in too many cases, you've got a, a group of founders who come up with what they think is a good idea. They develop a product only to find out that, what they're selling is not what the market wants to buy. So we always, we always start with talking with customers. So if, if you're a, a, a small business owner, reach out to people that are, that are customers of yours, whether it be a web business or a, or a bricks and mortar business, you can still get on the phone and talk to customers and, and understand 
why they're buying from you, who else they use, what are they doing, well, how are their problems changed over time. And through that, getting that really good picture of what the market is doing, then you can go back inside the company and figure out, given the things that your business does well, how you can help solve those people's problems. And, and in that, you end up tuning up your value proposition in a really compelling way. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, I love one thing you mentioned there is you were talking about the problem that you're solving because Gary Bensavinga, a famous copywriter, that's something he said once that really stuck in my head saying that problems are markets, not age groups, demographics, psychographics. The problem is the market and the problem is experienced by people with certain commonalities but it's the problem that you solve that you need to focus on. And that that's what happened and why newspapers got decimated. They forgot what their original problem they solved for people was. And then blogs came in and solved <laughs> right. better and just decimated them. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely true. It's, it's absolutely spot on. And then once you, once you figure out what the problem is, then figure out what, what's the cost to that potential customer of, of not solving the problem. Is it, you know, if it's not if it's not a, a big amount of money or a big headache, then it makes your makes your job all the harder. If you can identify a real problem that's expensive to solve and, and you figured out a way with your solution to solve it, then you're going to have that's where, you know, lifetime value really comes into play. And you start building a very solid business off of that. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah, this is good practical, fundamental. I hope people are taking notes and writing a lot of this down. I mean, there's no magic room, right? Are we, we're not going to get off the phone, Rich, and you're going to go, all right, now that we got rid of everybody, Daryl, I'm going to tell you the real secrets. Is that, is that coming anytime? No, this is, this is it, right? <laughs> what, what we've, one of the things that, that we've been working on is a much more agile approach to getting businesses straightened out and getting them started in the right direction. You know, you can't, these days, it, it's very hard to wait for months or years to get a business on track. You know, the, you know, the, the time that it took to create a strategy for a business 10, even 15 years ago would take three to six months, right? That can take that long or longer in big companies. And we've been working out what we call a, a radical growth sprint, where in 21 days, we, get, we can turn around a company get the strategy, the target audience, the value proposition figured out, get it all aligned internally so that a company is really set up and knows how to create radical growth. Now, is this through your six, what is it, sorry, it's the six block system? Oh, the six blocks, yeah. So six blocks is part of it. The, the business here is, it's called Calabra, and we work with mostly smaller businesses and uh, business owners in helping them overcome the challenges. As you said, you know, at any point in time, some, some business is going to be struggling on the revenue side. And we have put together kind of this, my partner and I, the sum total of 30 years of our experience, both doing this as business owners and CEOs, as well as coaching and helping those owners and CEOs. And we've really refined it down into a very agile process that, that we're finding yields significant results on behalf of our clients. Really fun work for us and, and really satisfying to see their businesses start to take off after we've, after we've done that work. So how do, you, how do you do that? And you said 21 days or 29 days? Mm -hmm. 21 days, just like it comes out of Stephen Covey, who says that it takes 21 days to create a new habit. So it's a, it's a little bit of a pull from that, but it's a it's a top to bottom process of reevaluating just the, the the basics that we're talking about in the first part of it, 
And then the second part of it is there is too often lack of an understanding of what the sales funnel looks like for a company, how to create a healthy sales funnel, how to measure the effectiveness of it. You know, the, for, for a lot of smaller owner founder businesses, you know, you're selling, but you don't really understand what it takes in order to create a predictable, scalable sales process. And so the back part of our 21 day sprint is to get that set up so that, so that an owner and a CEO can manage the sales process and, and ultimately allow he or she to get out of the business. You want the team working in the business, but the owner and the, and the CEO need to be working on the business, if you will, and, and allowing them to make their best contribution as opposed to feeling like they have to solve all the internal problems that come up you know, every day. You can get lost in all that minutia and rob yourself of the opportunity to, to do the things that you do especially well that are going to make a, a major impact on the business. Now, I, I love this. I'm a hugest, like, you're, you're speaking language that's just, it's, it's reverberating in my head because I'm such an advocate for working on the business, not in the business. What are some of the hangups that prevent people from doing that? I, I really want to get some of your insight on this because you mentioned, first of all, I beat the team drum all the time on this show. So can we talk about a little bit, like delegating effectively, how to get out of being in your business and working on it? Can you just kind of wax poetic on that for a bit? Well, you know, part of what happens is, and if we're talking, if we're talking specifically about about smaller businesses with entrepreneurs, is that is that where you want to focus, um, Daryl? Yeah, I think we're talking less than twenty employees. Okay, so 50, those businesses are usually started. You know, those are the types of businesses that are started out of someone's dining room or garage. And in the early days, the it, it's the CEO and one or two other people, and they're doing everything. And then as time goes on, frankly, what happens is you build up muscle memory, if you will. And so it, it takes an intentional effort to break the habit of feeling like you have to be the one to solve all the problems. You have worked with a lot of businesses where an owner will take on two or three new employees, but then not, not delegate sufficiently to those people, not let them do their jobs. And, you know, comes back to comes back to a lot of learning from Covey, but in any event, getting out of the way once you bring on new employees and letting them do their job, setting the expectations, providing them with the tools and the structure to be successful in the job, and then getting out of the way and letting them do it, as opposed to feeling like you've got to be watching them, correcting them, or, you know, quote unquote, well, now I have to do it for them. You know, they don't do it, they don't do it, quote unquote, well enough. They're not doing it the way that, quote unquote, I would do it. And that just gets in the way of progress. It, it, it's, it's emotionally satisfying to the owner, but it doesn't help the business. Eventually, the, that owner or CEO has got to stop, has got to clearly delegate and, and get out of the way and let the employees that they've hired do that work. Now, so part of that, I guess, comes from... I'm just trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of the questions people listening to this might have about that because it's pretty straightforward, right? Hire someone for a position, train them, set, kind of manage by objective, I guess. Are you a fan of that? Manage by object, management by objective, set some goals for them and then back off and let them go. Yeah. And then, and then touch base uh, on a weekly basis. So one of what there are, there are things that big companies do well that many small companies don't take the time to do. So for instance, 
uh, is there a defined job description? In a lot of smaller companies, I need somebody, I go find somebody, I verbally explain to them what, what we're trying to do, but it's never pinned down specifically. It changes from day to day. And that can be very confusing. You know, one of the things that owners need to understand is that a, a person that starts a business is a different type of personality than like a regular employee. And it's not to say that one is better or more important than the other. You need both in order to have a successful business. But again, it, you know, time and time again, we see owners and CEOs who, who just think that everybody else sees the world the way that, that they see it. And th it just doesn't work that way. So it's gotta be defined. You've gotta create expectations. You've got to check in and make sure that people are on track. You know, it would be like, in a sense, it's for, for those that have children, if you solved every problem for your child every day and didn't let them do the work, you know, what type of, what type of, of an adult would that child turn into? Less successful than if they'd had to face the obstacles and do it themselves. It's the same, it's the same thing. It's the exact same thing. Which is why I think they call it human resource, because you're developing a resource, <laughs> right? It's it's right. Yes. it's an investment in people. And yes, people leave. And yes, but I mean, that's just, it's welcome to the journey. You know, welcome to the journey. You know, you'll you'll invest all this time and energy and money in someone and train them up and then they'll leave. And that's just going to happen. And that's partially where I think having standardized processes and that can make it, sim can simplify it especially just being smart, knowing that in the beginning, don't just hire, don't just train up one person while you're training them, create the manual that you can use to train their predecessors. Or if you need two or three of those people, now you've, you know, kind of refined the process, which I think comes back to working on your business, not in your business. And that's the key differentiation about that is, and I, and I love how you say like, it's not a discussion about which is better. It's like arguing about what's better breathing in or breathing out. You can't, you kind of need both. Yeah. They're kind of <laughs> right. the same thing. You can't, can't really get one or the other you might prefer one but oh i love breathing out it makes me feel so alive. but whatever tomato tomato but I, I really like that just it's paying attention to the details so you know you hire you 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 have to define the work that needs to be done first before you hire the person right right and i i'm working with a, a guy that started a, a a very small company and it's struggling at the moment and, you know, part of my value is to make sure he says, hey, I need to go find somebody uh, to help me with X. And it's like, okay, define the work because the guy that you're thinking about, the chances are he or she is not going to be right for that job simply because you happen to know who that person is. Like you're going to hire somebody in and they're going to be wholly unsuccessful. And it's that that's part of that discipline that early stage businesses, young businesses or smaller businesses, if they take the time to create those those disciplines, it pays huge dividends when they finally take hold, get, get some traction in the marketplace. That's what allows them to scale very quickly and grow revenue really fast. Right. Yeah, we like to say slow is smooth and smooth is fast. And, you know, it yeah, might be slower. Go. It might be slower as the owner because we got to get things done. We got to get to like slow down and be like, what are we hiring for all that? But like you said, you might just pick a person and then you might find out that either you can't deliver on your promise to them. Which, I mean, as an employee, right, they're expecting a certain number of hours, like, hey, I got to be able to pay my bills. Like, you know, it's got to, they have to be well-defined. So I think that's a really good key. It's a key point. And do you need them? You know, I think there's a lot of fat in a lot of companies that don't need, that doesn't need to be there. And it's, I don't know, it's loyalty. It's trying to be nice. It's, 
you know, hoping that you'll make a turkey fly as opposed to moving them somewhere else. So, so far we've got, you know, as far as we talk about defining, well-defining, defining a job, job description, maybe even coming up. Uh, one of the things I like to use, we call it the three key metrics. Three key metrics, whether they're tangible or intangible, that you would use to grade that position or role. What would define success? What are three things that someone would be doing well to define that successfully? And then having a weekly one-on-one with that person, at least for a couple of months, at least for a couple of months until they're up and running, right? And that way you know. And then every week, you, you, you know, the way we do it is each person gives a grade. So depending on what the metric is, I'm trying to think of a role, but depending on what the metric is, if it's, if it's tangible, it's really easy to define. If it's intangible, then they give themselves a grade and then you would give them a grade and you would kind of find the middle ground and look at the trend right. of the time. And that can help. Uh, you're, you're spot on. Right. You're spot on. And the, 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 the final part of that is that whole equation is when you find somebody that isn't after 30 days or 60 days, assuming, of course, that the expectations are reasonable and, and that's not hard to do. If they're not if they're not meeting the grade, then you the, the, the owner or the CEO has to take action and find that place, that person, a different place to work. Right. You have to fire that person. And that's that uh, back to what you said, you know, you're trying to be nice. They're with you in some cases because you've hired somebody's friend. It gets tricky. You know, how do I how do I fire them with ice in my veins when it's my best friend's son? You know, you've got to set all that out in advance so that if someone isn't producing the way that they need to, that you can have them exit the business, treating them correctly. You've got to be respectful but that person has to go. Right, right. Or be moved to a different role. Because you might have someone that's really capable well, in the wrong role, but you definitely need course, to take action. Sure. You definitely take action. Yep. And for people that have issues with that, something might help them mentally to think of it is, like, just think of it as a hunting party. Like, if you had a hunting party that had to go out and kill and hunt and get the food for your family to feed on that night, if you have someone that's unable to do the work, people are going to starve. And so, you know, it's not to be ruthless it's not to it's not elitism it's not any of that it's hey we need to eat at the end of the day and you know are you going to be able to carry the meat back are you going to be able to chase the you know what i mean so it's it's just being realistic and honest on a real level and then like you said just finding helping them if you have to if you're at all concerned making sure it's really clear on the beginning that it's a probationary period giving yourselves lots of exits and then of course like you said treating that person right and then and then heading out that's excellent. It's a, it's a, it's an unusual combination of uh, it, it takes practice to a have the empathy to really communicate and listen to the people that are working for you, and to create situations where they're going to be successful, and simultaneously being tough as nails when it comes to are they performing or not at the end of the day, and so it's all about you know you you don't give somebody the expectations you work out the expectations with them they have to buy into okay i understand what what it is you're asking me to do i'm signing up i'm going to put forth my best effort to do it just make sure that you give me the tools you know i can't build a house without a hammer and a saw and some nails well but once i have the tools if if i'm not on track then yes you have every right to do something about that situation including you know having me leave the business so it, it, it's, it's a tough role, but, but not at the end of the day, not hard. I've never really seen a CEO or an owner that, that hasn't been able to grow into that position 
of being able to be highly empathetic and a great manager as well as a very tough task. Right. And I think that by having those metrics can really take the, the venom out of your words. Like, you know, it becomes, a, if I, in my experience, it almost becomes self-evident on the one-on-ones. People kind of know and they either bow out on their own because they, you know, they can see what's happening or they, they step up and find a solution or, you know, they come up with a solution. Maybe you can, I can do this instead. So, you know, just transparency. I think, like you said, it's paying attention to some of the, the details. So now what are some of the habits that you feel have really helped you on your path to success? You mentioned helping be with a company where it went to 500 million. Do you say 500 million in annual revenues? Yeah. From in about uh, three or four years, we went from 80 to 500 million. And the, the, really for me, it was earlier in my career, I, I did not suffer fools very well, not that I'm some genius, but, but I did not suffer fools well. And one of the transformational things about Covey was just, you know, what he calls proactive listening. So really having conversations with people so that they know that they've been heard, even if you don't end up agreeing with them, um, creating those relationships of trust so that, you know, when I was like a VP of marketing with a team of 30 or 40 people working for me. And then when I was the chief operating officer with 400 people and ultimately a thousand people, I guess, reporting into me, the, the whole, the difference in the scale is revolves around the same things. It's being able to communicate a story that's going to be compelling that people want to sign up for. It's going to be, as we've discussed, really defining what the work is to be done, getting people excited about doing that work. And then really listening because, you know, we all know that we don't hold all the answers. The, the true power in a business comes from the, the aggregated creativity and the commitment of a large group of people. And the only way to tap that is, is for the leader. The only way to tap that is to truly be engaged in relationships with those employees so that they feel comfortable putting forth their best effort, their ideas. They don't feel like they're going to get stepped on. Or, or treated disrespectfully. Right. The, or the, reprimanded that, for that having a bad thing something silly. Yeah. You know, I mean, the basic thing of when you're talking with somebody in too many cases, you're, you, they're talking, but you're thinking about what you're about to say next. Yeah. As opposed to really hearing them out. And it sounds like a small deal, but that was a big habit for me. I had to really learn how to do that well in order to be an effective leader. Mm, mm, mm. That's awesome. That's, I think that's a really powerful point. That's a writer downer for anybody that's listening here. So now, do you ever feel that anything holds you or your clients back? Like, is there anything that you feel that keeps people from achieving their full potential needlessly? Well, you know, one of my favorite quotes, and again, not to keep harping on Covey, but, but Covey has a quote that says, live out of your imagination, not your history. Right. And what that means is every day we wake up, we have a choice. We can either live by the script that's defined our lives up till now, or we can imagine something different. And it holds back individual potential. It holds back company potential. Too often, you know, the, the, the CEO or even organizations get locked into their own worldview because they've got to make so many decisions. It's a complicated business environment. You've got to try and make up your mind about certain things with regard to the business. But when you do that, then you're living out of your history and the way that things were, as opposed to continually keeping track and imagining what it could be. Uh, and when we're able to when we're able to do that, 
you know, magic happens. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. humans are such powerful, incredible creatures. I say this, I say this fairly often. That's one of the things that I, I, I just love about what you said, because, you know, like I'm looking at my dog right now and as much as I love her, she's only ever going to do the handful of things the dog can do the five or six things. That's it. She's limited. I might be able to teach her like a fancy new trick, but it's not really going to be anything meaningful for dogs, but humans like, Today, I can make a decision that I want to take a ballet. I can make a decision that I want to play basketball, that I want to be an astronaut, that I want to – like the Wright brothers invented flight. Like people don't really grasp how radical that is. They were like, we're going to sit in a chair that's going to hover in the sky. People were like, that's crazy. That's like me telling you I'm going to unzip my skin and step out of it looking 10 years younger. Like if I – same thing. Like if I told you I was going to open up a portal in my hand and look – in real time at a friend on the other side of the planet and even be able to pass some things, have a piece of paper on my end and be able to push it through to them. Like, like that's just, that's magic. And people don't get like you, we do phenomenal things. And all that comes from our imagination that all that comes from our ability to see something that doesn't exist and then follow a plan rather haphazardly, but follow the plan and, you know, and just see it through. Thomas Edison, you know, what is it they say? He had 20,000 failed experiments. He said he didn't figure out how to make a light bulb. He just ran out of wrong things to do, you know, but yeah. it's ch- totally changed our lives. I mean, it's changed every human being on the planet. So it's just, again, I love that. Live out of your imagination, not your history. I think that's a really powerful thing for people on the call to think about. Yeah, I think that's really, really meaningful. So what do you see as the future trends of your industry? Where do you see things going in terms of business development and helping companies kind of overcome themselves? Well, the, one of the major trends that we're helping clients with these days is, and we deal with companies that are in a lot of cases engaged in business to business type uh, product propositions, is that uh, companies like Apple and Amazon have trained us because all of us are at the end of the day consumers. Uh, those businesses have trained us to expect a certain type of, of process of buying, of being a customer treated really well, really great service, um, really responsive, uh, setting up the ability for us to get a lot of things done without the need for talking with company representatives that whole that whole experience as consumers is now becoming an expectation when you're involved in the B2B realm. So how do you create, if you're a business selling to other businesses, how do you create a concierge-like uh, buying experience for that, for that customer? How do you provide them with the information that they need so that they don't have to interact with you? When every fiber of like the salesperson's being uh, wants to make that physical contact in order to quote you know to to advance the sale in their mind and that that makes the need for some new skills inside these companies to be able to provide that and to get very intentional about about how they engage customers when they engage customers with certain information um, has really had a huge impact on what customer service looks like and and we view that as a as a major trend that businesses are going to have to be dealing with and learn how to do well if they're going to compete going forward. Mm. Customer service is a profit center. I think that was something that I came up. It's come up in the last couple of years that just when we say how it's changed the nature of customer service, that a lot of times customer service was an expense 
like support, but a lot of companies are turning that into a place where they can they can actually track and and show retention, referrals, you know, increased consumption or upsells, back end selling, better onboarding right. experiences, that there's profit through that customer service. So. Yeah, these, in a lot of cases, customer service is being folded into uh, customer success. So just went to a symposium last week hosted by one of the major VC firms here in Seattle. And a lot of SaaS businesses in the audience, but the lessons go much broader than just SaaS businesses. And it was all about how do you, what are the various new jobs that need to be created inside a business to help customers be successful so that you know, you can, you take on a customer, their initial purchase might be small, but you keep them as a customer and you grow revenue with them over time so that the lifetime value becomes, you know, really awesome. And it's way more than customer service and it redefines what customer service is going to look like in the future. Well, and to be honest, I think it gets back to the nature of what a business is supposed to be. We just said earlier in the call that problems are markets not demographics. So customer service, if you're all of a sudden tackling a problem and you've got a team of people who are trained up to support people, solve that problem, and then know what the next problem is going to be after they have that. I mean, it's like Procter and Gamble. I think they, they buy baby list babies names, like newborns at the hospital, you get your baby package or whatever, your welcome package at the hospital, you know, you get your diapers and formula that, and they follow that family for 20 something years. They've got products right. lined up. They know at every stage. I mean, talk, I mean, what, what does that do, do to your ability to spend money on advertising? If you get a customer and you keep them for 23, 24 years through phases sure. of their life, life insurance and buying your first car and like all that stuff, suddenly you really are helping improve people's value in life. You're not just selling a one-off product. I really don't think that from personally, and there are people that make good sums of money selling one-off products, but I really do feel that it's more about the relationship the experience over time with the customer versus just, you know, here's your, here's your dongle. Well, it's a, you know, Peter, Peter Drexler talks about the purpose of a business is to create value. So uh, it create value for customers. They don't, when somebody buys laundry detergent, they're not, it's not a transaction of them buying laundry detergent. It's because they, they're going to, they're going to pay money for something that's going to get their clothes clean back to your, what's the problem. Problem is I have dirty clothes and I need a way to do that. And so businesses that think about, again, thinking about it from the customer's end, uh, how do I create value for that customer at every stage of the buying process? And then once they're a customer, how do I continue to find ways to add value in, in that relationship? As long as you do that, then, then you have customer loyalty. And as long as you have customer loyalty, there will be revenue. But you've got to be constantly thinking about it from the customer's it's too easy to stop thinking about it from the customer's point of view and start thinking about it from the company's point of view. I have this product and I need to sell it because that's where my revenue comes from. No, the customer has a problem that you're trying to solve. There's, there's value that they're trying to get. They are willing to pay money for it. And you have to package up that, that value in such a way that they want to pay you the money for it instead of paying somebody else that money. That's so well said. Rich, that's so well said. This is a great interview. People listening to this may want to go back and re-listen to it in case you missed anything. There's a ton of notes. I know I got a couple of pages myself. Huge fan of writing things down. If you haven't, again, listen to this call and take on some notes. Even if you never look at your notes again, it'll just help you remember them a little bit better. Rich, is there anything that you offer? If any, how do people that want to, that love the value you've provided, that want to get in touch, that want to know more, 
your, your six was a six block system and the 21 day kind of business makeover, I guess that you're offering. How do people reach out? How do they get in touch with you? Yeah, well, they can send an email to rich at calabra.com, K-A-L-A-B-R-A.com. And what we're offering is we, we've done this a lot, but to say thanks for the time today, Daryl, we'd love to do this uh, kind of free of charge. And that's a, essentially a, a go-to-market assessment. So we work with clients. We take a, a good a deep snapshot of what they've got as they go to market in terms of you know the fundamental building blocks that we've discussed. We will analyze that and provide recommendations on what they can do. That's usually a two to three thousand dollar exercise that we do with clients. We're willing to offer that up for free to help people kind of understand where they are and to point them in a in a smart direction so they can start building revenue radically going forward. That's awesome. And so what's the email address again? Rich R I C H at Calabra.com. K-A-L-A-B-R-A. That's awesome. So for people that are interested in sitting down and having a diagnostic of your business, figuring out what, what, what do you not know or what are you missing? Get in touch with Rich send, him, Rich, send him an email. Rich, you've given so many great answers on this call. I really do value our time together. Was there anything I didn't ask you that I should have asked you? No, you did a great job, Daryl. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you, Rich. I appreciate you so much. I know that the listeners appreciate this. This call will definitely change some people's business careers. And again, if you found value, I encourage you to reach out to Rich. And again, Rich, thank you so much for your time and for sharing with us, because I know you could be spending time with your family, your own clients, and other people. So just thank you, and I hope you have a wonderful day. All right, Daryl. Cheers. You've reached the end of our interview. Now, first, let me thank you for listening. I appreciate and respect you more than you'll ever know. And now I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. First, what three lessons did you just learn? What three aha moments just jumped out at you? Second, what can you implement for yourself and your business in the next 24 hours? Third, what can you give to someone else to help you with or give them to just do it for you. Whatever it is, remember taking action is the secret sauce to results. Now, if you think this interview would be helpful for a friend, please give them a link to it. It'll help them and it'll help me too. I'd also like to invite you to help me find out more about the challenges you're facing, your dreams, your goals, and how I can help you overcome what's holding you back. We both do better when we know better. And your success is my success. So please reach out and interact. You can visit our website, bestbusinesscoach.ca for Canada or California, where I'm from and where I'm living. You're welcome to also try out one of our paid programs. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and pretty much every other social media channel you can think of. You should also subscribe to the podcast. And if you're enjoying them, please leave us a nice review. It really helps. That's all for now. Once again, thank you. Take care of yourself. And remember, the world needs the best business you can build. And I believe in you.